0: Well, the train is now picking up speed as we move through the series called Not a Fan. We're uh, we're on the fifth week already, concluding the series uh, next Sunday, Palm Sunday, and then it's Easter Sunday already. Today our theme is uh, More Than Rules, More Than Rules, uh, a theme I think that will cause us to put up some caution flags around that word rules. Uh, rules, rules. Our world thrives on them. Uh, just as an aside, we went to the Development Appeal Board here a few weeks ago to plead our cause for the uh, erection of an electronic message board out on the northwest corner of this building. Uh, both our initial application and our appeal was turned down because there are rules. <laughs> about having an electronic message board sign in our community given the particular zoning of this community. And even though we tried to strategically argue that the sign would be used for the community, the new rules in the last couple of years says no electronic message boards, period. We got an A for effort for trying, uh, but the answer is still no. There are rules. And I think we can understand that rules are necessary to govern our society and our world. There would be uh, no semblance of order and direction if we didn't have some guidelines and some rules. But it's very interesting how we deal with rules. We find ways to use them to our own advantage. Uh, we find ways to get around them. We call them loopholes. We hire expensive people to help us find some loopholes. Uh, so that we can get what we want. And rules, yes, we enforce them on others at times. We say, well, this is what it says. Rules, we ignore them sometimes ourselves. So even though we might have made the rules, we sometimes feel like we are above the rule or it doesn't apply to me, I'm entitled. Rules can be confusing in general but especially so when it comes to spiritual matters and following Jesus Christ. But to be very clear, I mean, the Bible gives us guidelines to protect us. What are the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments were were commandments to protect us and to protect our society. They were good rules. However, as much as we want to follow the Bible, we all come up short. Some of us have blown it in very dramatic ways, very public ways, in ways that a lot of people know about. But all of us have blown it in more private ways, even if it didn't hit the papers, or the neighborhood, or the family circle. But nevertheless, we have all blown it. And as soon as someone blows it in some way, we decide that we need to make a rule That this doesn't happen again. That's why we have so many rules. The risk with rules is that they're easy to overemphasize. And before long, what people here end up hearing is, if you want to come to God, there's a set of rules that we have to put together and that you have to follow. Here at TCC, what blesses my heart among many things is what I see among our body. That we are more concerned about a relationship with God than following a thousand different rules. And that is so liberating. There is a heart here to be more concerned about the ruler than the rules. More concerned about the Lord More concerned about pleasing him than trying to follow a bunch of rules. When we follow the ruler, the king, Jesus, we don't have to get as concerned about all the rules. Many of those things just fall into place. When your heart is connected with God, you wouldn't do anything to bring dishonor to your brother or to your sister because your heart is connected with God. Perhaps some of you grew up in a context where it was all about rules. I remember some pretty upset people in our time as young adults. We let our hair grow too long. Well, that's, that's way back there. Yeah, look at that guy. I was going to pick on Rudy Radke this morning. Where's Rudy? He's right here. Now, you should have seen Rudy. I, I, I phoned him and said, Rudy, would you send a picture of, of yourself when you were about 20? Because he belonged to this musical group called Liberty Union. And you would not have recognized this man. Long hair. Uh, and I know others of you out there that are about my age had long hair when, when you were in your 20s. And I remember some young people being very upset about those rules. And wanting to leave the church if rules like this were going to be enforced. I mean, we should have been grateful that our young people were in church. And some of our leaders and some of our parents, not all, saw the the long hair as an act of defiance. It really wasn't. But our experience was certainly nothing like the experience that Jesus had in His time on this earth. He was among the Pharisees and He was among the Sadducees. They were the king of rules. Nobody had more rules than they did. And they turned a relationship with God into thousands of rules. And as long as you kept the rules you were in, but your whole life was taken up with checklists. What joy, eh? (laughs) The joy of, oh, I did that, yep. Went Went to church today, check that. Prayed today, check that. Read my Bible today, check that. I must be doing pretty good. I must be a pretty good follower. Look at all these check marks. Oh, the pleasure of keeping a checklist. Some of you that here this morning have been hurt through the years because you didn't follow the rules quite right in your church. And maybe it was as a young adult. I wish I could say this morning to you very personally, I'm sorry. You were hurt. I'm sorry you were hurt. I remember a young gal in our home church being brought to the front for her transgressions. And I thought, that was it for her. She's going to be so angry for the rest of her life. But she had a soft heart toward God. And it stalled her for a while. But I followed how she's doing and she's doing well. She, I surrender all. That was beautiful. She, she surrendered her life to Christ. And she's she's raised a wonderful godly family. And praise God, she recovered. It doesn't always go that way. One pastor writes that when he was a young person in church, a high school girl got pregnant. She was 16. Small town, news spread quickly. But the deal was that When she was pregnant, she came back to church. She walked into church, very pregnant. And he said, the two moms sitting in the pew right in front of me and right in front of this girl, the one mom said to the other, I can't believe she'd come here in a condition like that. He writes, I don't remember seeing her come in after that weekend. My prayer is that TCC would always be a safe place to come. If you can't come to church and be safe, where can you go? So number one, rules distract from the real thing. Rules can distract from the real thing. There's a fascinating story in Matthew 12... Of Jesus and his disciples you saw it on the video headed out to the synagogue on a Sabbath morning and the disciples were hungry. It says one Sabbath Jesus was strolling with his disciples through a field of ripe grain hungry the disciples were pulling off the heads of grain and munching on them. Some Pharisees reported them to Jesus your disciples are breaking the Sabbath rules. Jesus said really. Didn't you ever read what David and his companions did when they were hungry? How they entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar, bread that no one but priests were allowed to eat. And didn't you ever read in God's law that priests carrying out their temple duties break Sabbath rules all the time and it's not held against them? There's far more at stake here than religion. If you had any idea what this scripture meant, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual, you wouldn't be nitpicking like this. The Son of Man is no lackey to the Sabbath. He's in charge. This seems ridiculous to us to read this account from a 21st century perspective. But the first century people were living under tremendous bondage with all the laws. The disciples were hungry. They were out munching on some grain as they walked through the fields. And because they had to rub the kernel... In their hands, in the palm of their hands to get the kernel out, they broke a rule in the rule book. They incurred a penalty. That was a foul. That was called threshing. You can't thresh on the Sabbath. They were working. And because they blew the chaff away, that was called winnowing. And you can't do that on the Sabbath. That was working on the Sabbath. Lord, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said, really? Wow. That's what you want to focus on? And he rebukes them and he says, you would, have not, you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. This is a good time to throw out the caution sign. Floor wet. Be careful. Don't fall. We can slip. When we establish Christian rules, in our Christian lives, the basics of rules rather than ruler. Watch this video.
1: It's not unusual for me to talk to Christian parents who are upset, concerned, because maybe a college age child or an adult child is no longer following jesus and the parents usually want to know what happened they want to know what went wrong that's a hard question to answer there's a lot of different possibilities but i i do my best just to listen to the story to encourage them and to pray for their child but not long ago i was uh, speaking in houston texas and after i was done speaking this big man with this big belt buckle came up to me but he had uh, had tears in his eyes and he began to tell me the story of his prodigal daughter who had left home and had walked away from her faith was no longer following Jesus but he didn't ask me what happened he didn't seem to be looking for an explanation in fact with one sentence he told me what he thought went wrong He said, we raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Do you ever go to the doctor and get an inoculation? They give you a little bit of a virus to try and make you immune to the real thing. I think that's what's happened to a lot of fans. They got a little bit of Jesus. Maybe at home, maybe at school, church, a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of rules be a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of tradition. But one of the most deadly things that can happen to your faith is to have just a little bit of Jesus. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. We raised her in
0: church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. What a statement. I've seen that happen. Young people leaving the church, once they say, they can make their own decision. They say, it's not relevant, it's not where I'm at. My brother left the church when he was 16. He no longer had to go to church, and he didn't. My parents couldn't make him go any longer. And he left, and he didn't come back until he was 40, when Jesus met him. And Jesus became very real to him. In those years, he was not living in Christ. He was doing his thing. And I'm following the reactions these days uh, of young people who are being interviewed as the world has been waiting for the crowning of, of the next pope, Pope Francis. And, you know, reporters are all out there. We got one among us this morning. They're looking for stories, Misty. And they're asking the young people, why they're no longer part of the church? And the responses are out of touch, irrelevant, doesn't meet my needs, among many other responses. Why can't church be more fun? Irrelevant rules. Some of us this week spent a week, uh, a day with uh, Reg Bibby, sociologist from the University of Lethbridge. I like, he was so encouraging. He says, despite what people say, that religion is losing ground in Alberta and in Canada, it's not true. The stats say it's not true. The stats indicate that Roman Catholics are holding their own due to immigration. And conservative Protestants, evangelicals, are making gains. And he told us, pastors, no one can answer the question of death. Science can't answer that question You will never be out of a job. There will always be a need for the Christian faith. It will never go off the map because no one can answer the issue of death. No one has anything meaningful to say about it except the Christian faith. That reason alone. If you're on the journey of following Jesus, what matters is, are you following Him? Would you answer this question in your mind, rhetorical question, is it easier for me to follow rules or to follow Jesus? Is it easier for me to follow rules or to follow Jesus? And I think if you contemplate that long enough, the majority of us would answer that by saying, it's probably easier to follow rules. We can give ourselves a grade. We can just pull out the rule book. Read the Bible today. Well, that's worth something. And prayed today. Well, that's worth something. And didn't lie. And attended church. And scored pretty well. I must be doing well. Jesus is much more concerned that you know his heart. That you have a relationship rather than a checklist. Rules can distract from the real thing. Secondly, rules can keep our own brokenness under cover. Rules can keep our own brokenness under cover. I sometimes try to think about the question, why do we delight when someone else is broken or when someone else fails? I mean, sure, that would never be true of any of us. But it's not too far off the mark. Why would someone feel okay because someone else is broken? Because someone else fails in a part of their life? Because when someone else is broken or fails, we are able to hide our own brokenness. Oh, look, I'm not that. Oh, look, that's never happened to me. Oh, see that situation over there? That's not me. And we mask our own stuff. Let me illustrate John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stoner, what do you say? Thankfully, I've never had an experience like that. In all the years of ministry where somebody has interrupted the service and brought somebody up by the scuff of their neck and landed them here on the altar and said, here's somebody, boy, you need to really speak to them. Jesus was teaching and the grenades started going off. Verse 1 indicates it's early in the morning and Jesus is teaching at the temple. And there was a crowd of people that were gathered around. Well, early in the morning, they came to hear him speak. I just thought for a moment, must have been a great communicator to get people out so early in the morning. Anybody want to try a 6 a.m. service? You go ahead and get started without me. A man was asked, what color are your pastor's eyes? He said, I have no idea. When he prays, he closes his eyes. And when he preaches, I close mine. <laughs> Jesus was teaching early in the morning and there was already a crowd on hand. On this particular early morning, Jesus was interrupted by one of the most embarrassing things that could ever happen to anybody anywhere. The scribes and the Pharisees interrupted the teaching time and shoved a woman to the front of the crowd. They said, teacher, this woman was caught in, a, in, in adultery in the very act. Now, I realize that this is kind of a delicate scene and I won't go on and on about it but I owe you the honesty of the text literally this means that they have pulled her from her partner they walked into the bedroom saw her in bed with another man told her to put on her clothes brought her and threw her down in front of Jesus, and I'm sure they didn't speak in a whisper. This woman right here, see her? She was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, this was really not about the woman. This was really about Jesus. It was just another setup for Jesus. It was just another trap. It was really more about Jesus than about the woman, but at the expense of this woman. I mean, the, the text causes you to ask the normal questions. Well, where's the man? Takes two. Why didn't you bring him? And people have commented on that. Some have said, well, perhaps he escaped. He ran away, got away from them. Perhaps he was deliberately allowed to go free. They didn't care because the real issue was, was trying to trap Jesus. Oh, and then I've heard a third response. And... It kind of shocked me. Maybe it was one of them. Maybe the attacker was one of their own group from the scribes and Pharisees. Now, isn't that the wildest thing you could ever imagine? I know it's a shocker, but you can't put anything past a hypocrite. So Maybe they really did set it up. If you think the adulterous woman was dirty and worthless... Just think of those who brought her. You see, rules keep our brokenness undercover. Yes, easy to level both barrels at the woman, but somehow never come to grips with our own stuff. This is all a big setup for Jesus. It was a trap. We've got him. What will he do with this woman caught in adultery? If Jesus says, stone, him, stone her, then they could say, well, he's no friend of sinners. That's what he purports to be. If he says, let her live, they could say, Jesus doesn't care much about the sacredness of the Old Testament writings because the the, the Old Testament says, stoner. What a story. And look at how Jesus responds. Look at what Jesus did. He stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And we have no idea in the world what he wrote. We have no idea. People speculate on that. But we don't know what he wrote. Maybe he was just doodling. We don't know. And they said, uh, he said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Your heart's all perfect and pure and clean. Well, then you pick up the first stone and you hurl it at her. And when I think of how cleverly Jesus responded I'm reminded of the cleverness of a man who was checking out of a motel and discovered that the manager had charged him for putting a fresh fruit basket in the room every day. And the man said, well, how could you charge us for fresh fruit when we never ate any fruit from any basket on any day? And the manager said, it's not my fault that you didn't eat it. It was there. The clever man took the bill, and subtracted $150 from it. The manager said, what in the world are you doing? The man said, I'm charging you $50 a day for kissing my wife. The manager said, I didn't kiss your wife. The husband said, that's not my fault, she was there. (laughs) The man was clever enough to point out the manager's dishonesty without simply accusing him. And Jesus was clever just like that. When Jesus said the sinless person should throw a stone at the adulterous woman first, he was causing them to come face to face with something. If they were going to set themselves up as a spiritual representative to administer divine justice, they had to be without sin. And the fact is they weren't. Because all of us are sinners. The Bible says that we've all sinned. And Jesus faced them with sin. Did you notice Jesus did not say, he who is without adultery? He said, he who is without sin. God being a holy God has a standard of perfection. I could suggest this morning that we walk up to a huge ravine and jump 100 feet to the other side. It doesn't matter if you jump 5 feet or even 50 feet you would fall to your death. Because you can't make a hundred feet. In the same way, God's standard is perfection. For that reason, the person who has told a lie is just as guilty before God as the person who was laid in bed with someone who was not his mate. We don't like to look at ourselves that way. We like to look at ourselves as being better than most people. One time a little guy, 10 years old, came into the house and he'd just come from his first Little League game. And his mother said to him, how did you do? He said, fantastic. Even the coach said that I was the best of the worst three. (laughs) And that's all we are. We're the best of the worst. And for that reason, it's interesting for me to note the first person who walks away. At the bottom of the paragraph, it says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Maybe the older ones had the most secrets. There's an old statement that says, You are only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. Rules let us keep a lot of secrets. Rules allow us to hide our brokenness. We're afraid to let others know us too deeply because they might find out about our secrets. And if they ever discovered our secrets, they wouldn't like us anymore. I pray that this church would be a safe place to be who you are and to find a person or two or a group that you could share the broken parts of your life with and feel safe. The author of this video series, Not a Fan, tells a wonderful story. Kyle writes, he said, I received a note from one of our volunteers recently. She volunteers in the Welcome Center and she wrote her about her encounter with a visitor. It was her first time at the church and here's what the volunteer wrote to me. It was about five minutes until the service started and a young woman, probably in her late 20s, early 30s, walked in, with her fifth grade son and approached me with kind of a deer in the headlights look. She had never been here before and she was nervous. I told her, I took her to the check-in counter for her son's class. And on the way there, she told me that she had gotten into some messy stuff six years ago, including a, a messy divorce. And after that, she was no longer welcome at the church that she'd gone to. She hadn't been to church since then. And you could just hear the guilt in her voice, and she was terribly nervous. I shared with her that I had been divorced, and uh, I was a single mom, and I knew how tough that was. Once her son was in class, I asked her if she wanted to sit with me in the worship service. Upon hearing uh, my invitation, she asked, Am I allowed to go into the sanctuary since I'm not a member? I told her she was. When we got to our seats, the service had already started and everybody was standing and singing. And after the song, the young man leading worship prayed and the first words out of his mouth were, God, thank you that no matter where our path has taken us in life, you can redeem us and forgive us. With that, tears started to flow down her face and really didn't stop the entire service through. I could just see the guilt and the fear melt away. And her body language went from tense and frightened to calm, but excited. And as we were standing there for a few worship songs at the end of the service, she appeared to get a little antsy. I assumed that she was probably ready to leave and go pick up her son. So I turned to ask her if she was ready to leave. But before I had a chance, she opened her mouth and said, do I need to walk down there and talk to him if I want to join your church? I said, yes, you do. She said, I want to do that. I asked her if she wanted me to walk with her. And she said, yes. So we walked to the front of the church. And Kyle writes, I greeted her right down front. She leaned forward and she whispered in my ear, I've gone through a lot of personal stuff a few years ago. A lot of stuff. And my other church wouldn't have me. It was more of a question than a statement. And I said, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We would love to have you. We would love to have you. And we would too. We would love to have you. I don't know what your story is. I don't know if there's a Christian in your life, a leader, a pastor in your life, who misrepresented Jesus Christ, who wasn't at all like Christ. I don't know if somebody threw a bunch of rules at you and you got really hurt. I don't know if you, you you had a church that taught you a lot of traditions and rules and regulations and you never really got around to studying the gospel and never really understood who Jesus is. Made you feel guilty every weekend. But we'd love to have you come And experience the freedom, the freedom there is in knowing and following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I love what Jesus says. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You're free. Go and sin no more. In his book, What Good is God? Philip Yancey writes about being invited to speak on a conference on ministry to women in prostitution. After some discussion with his wife about this, he agreed to accept the invitation as long as he could have the opportunity to question the women and hear their stories. At the end of the conference, Yancy had the following conversation with these women. He says, I have time for one more question. He said, did you know that Jesus referred to your profession? Let me read what he said. And he read, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He was speaking to the religious authorities of his day. So we asked these ladies, what do you think Jesus meant? Why did he single out prostitutes? And after several minutes of silence, a young woman from Eastern Europe spoke up in her broken English. Everyone, she says, everyone, she has someone to look down on. Not us, we are at the low. Our families, they feel shame for us. No mother somewhere looks at her little girl and says, Honey, when you grow up, I want you to be good prostitute. Most places we are breaking the law. Believe me, we know how people feel about us. We feel it too. People call us names. We are the bottom. And sometimes when you're at the low, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes, we respond. Maybe Jesus meant that. Maybe Jesus meant that. Max Lucado told a story in his book that he wrote several years ago. No wonder they called him Savior. Somewhere in Brazil, a little girl grew up, and her mother taught her about Jesus, but her father abandoned ship. Somehow the girl decided as a teenager to run away from home and to live on the streets. And her mom knew that this was bound to happen and she said, don't ever do that. Please don't do that. Please don't leave home. But she left home. She went to a big city to make her way on the streets where she could make the money. And when her daughter actually went through with this threat to leave, the mother went to the photography shop and got 500 pictures of her daughter. And she wrote on the back of each one of them. And then she went to the big city, and she posted those pictures on every post and place where she imagined her daughter might go. And then after a month, she had to go home. After six months of being away, the daughter finally found one of these pictures. And on the back of each picture was written, Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. Whatever you've done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she came home.